So here we are. A week into 2021, the new year is well underway, and it's fair to say that so far it hasn't been quite the, um, the uplifting roller coaster that we hoped it might be. We do have some good news, though, on the horizon. There's, um, as I'm speaking today, there's been a third vaccination that's been approved, and uh, we're hopeful that throughout this year we're going to see more and more people being vaccinated and protected against the coronavirus, and that slowly but surely we can begin to get back to some sort of normality. But right here, right now, things still feel quite bleak. It's very easy to look around us and see the, the headlines about um, uh, the number of, number of people who are suffering with the illness, number of people who are in hospital. London hospitals have got um, 35% more admissions than they had at the, the spike of the April um, outbreak. Things seem to be going from bad to worse. But this morning, we're going to listen to three readings from Scripture and remind ourselves that our God is a God of provision. Our God is a God who is always there for us. And even though we might look around and say we haven't got enough, God gives us what we need. We're going to listen to the first passage now, which comes from 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to listen to this and then we're going to reflect on what it can say for us today. Some time later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have instructed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. So how is this story relevant to us today, in a world where we have moved on so far from the days of Elijah? Well actually, as we're going to see, there is real relevance in this story. Because in this story we come across the prophet Elijah, who has just been sent by God to the town of Zarephath. As he enters the town, he encounters this widow. And as we've just heard from the reading, this widow is in a desperate situation. There's a drought in the whole area. The the brooks, the rivers, the streams, the local water sources have dried out. We know there's water in the well because Elijah turns up and asks her to draw some for him to drink. He then says, actually, while you're there, get me some bread as well. I'm hungry. She says, I have no bread. In fact, all I have in this world for me and my son is a fistful of flour and a small jar of oil. 
She then goes off and brings Elijah the water and she says to him, I'm gathering sticks to take home, to light a fire, to cook a loaf of bread out of the, the fistful of flour and the small jar of oil for me and my son to eat. And once we've eaten that, we die. In other words, she's got nothing in the world. She cannot see a future. She knows that they've got one more meal and then she knows there is no more food. There is nothing else for them. She's lost all hope. She's lost all, all expectation of anyone turning up and giving her food. She was a widow. She had no husband to go out to work, to earn money, to buy food, or to go out and to, to glean what, what he could from the local fields. There was nothing. And so she is prepared to have one last meal and then wait for death to come and take her and her son. This is a terrible situation to be in. And it seems even, even more terrible when Elijah says, OK, don't be afraid. That's the first thing that Elijah says. Now, don't forget, Elijah is a God-appointed prophet. And his message, don't be afraid. How many times through, throughout the Bible do we hear that message when someone is, is, has got every reason to be fearful? At Christmas, we were reminded, weren't we, of when, when Mary and Joseph had the visitations from the angels. And when a shepherd saw the angels out in the fields as well, the first thing that was said, do not be afraid. When we rely on our own, our own power in any sort of desperate situation, the natural instant reaction is fear. How am I going to do this? How am I going to get through this? But actually as a Christian, we're told time and time again, do not be afraid because it's not about how I'm going to get through it, how I'm going to deal with it. It's about how God is going to get me through it, about how God is going to help me deal with it. And so that's Elijah's first response. Do not be afraid. He says, go home and do as you've said. Yeah, you're right. Go home. Make your fire. Cook your bread. Eat it. But he says, before you do that, make me some bread. Now, I don't know about you, but what an audacious thing to say. She's just told him that she's got virtually nothing in the world. She's got just a tiny amount. And he says, OK, yeah, we'll make me some first. How greedy, how, how selfish. But of course, this is a test of faith. God's prophets time and time again in the Old Testament are put in pretty awkward situations. We think of, of Moses going before Pharaoh. We think of Daniel in the lion's den or Jeremiah down the well. But here we have Elijah who probably felt an absolute fool standing there saying, uh, oh yeah, I know you're, you're facing death and you've only got that tiny amount, but some of that, I'm going to eat some of that. I'm going to take some of that. Elijah is faithful to God. God has set this whole thing up and told him this is what's going to happen. And so Elijah says to her, do not be afraid. Go home and do as you've said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. I want the first, I want the first loaf. You make it for me first. And then you go and make something for yourself and your son. For the Lord, the God of Israel, says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land again. So the widow went away. She trusted Elijah. She had faith in Elijah. She knew he was a prophet sent by God. And so she 
goes away, cooks Elijah, part of the part of the bread out the flour and the oil. Then she does the same for herself and her son, and we're told that God honoured his promise. That flour never ran out. That oil kept flowing. Now, it's important to note here that it, we're not told that there was an abundance of flour. We're not told that she got home, opened her cupboard, and there was bags and bags and bags of flour sitting there, or litres of oil. But that tiny amount, that tiny amount was enough to get her through. All she could focus on before Elijah turned up was the hopelessness of the situation. But when Elijah gave her a word from God, she was suddenly reminded of God's provision. She suddenly trusted in God again. And sure enough, that faith was rewarded, as we see at the end of the story. The jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Now, for this woman, this was an incredibly personal story. When Elijah turns up, she hasn't got any hope at all. There was no welfare state. There was no Marcus Rashford giving out food vouchers and campaigning for free school meals. There was no food banks. This lady had what she had, and once that was gone, there was nothing. It's a very personal story. We live in the town of Billericay. If you're watching this and further afield, then maybe your circumstances are slightly different. But the town of Billericay, a lot of it is a fairly affluent middle class area. And affluent middle class people don't like sharing their problems. They like to pretend that everything is fine, to sort of project this image of the life they'd like to live. I don't know what's going on in your life at the moment. I don't know if you're looking at a bare cupboard. I don't know if you're carrying a deep-seated grief because you've lost someone and haven't yet had the chance to mourn. I don't know if the frustration and the uncertainty is just dragging you lower and lower and lower. I don't know if you've lost your job. But God knows. God knows all of these things. And so this morning as we read this story, we are reminded that we have faith in a God who provides. A God who provides comfort when it's needed. A God who provides strength when we're weak. A God who is always there with us and he provides what we need. He doesn't provide what we want. As I said earlier, he doesn't give this widow an abundance of flour and oil and meat and everything else that she may have desired on her wish list. But he gives her what she needs to sustain her and her family. At this time, it's important that we all turn to God with our own personal problems. He already knows what we're suffering. He already knows, but so often we try and do it in our own strength. And when we get to the end of our own strength or the end of our own resources, we cannot see hope beyond it. Just like the widow couldn't see any hope beyond the end of the fistful of flour and the jar of oil. But as soon as she turned to God, as soon as Elijah directed her to turn to God, God, through his miraculous provision, made sure that she had what she needed. And he'll do the same for us today. We're going to go on now to our second reading, which features Elijah's successor, Elisha, 
Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in that region. While the company of the prophets was meeting with him, he said to his servant, Put on the large pot and cook some stew for these prophets. One of them went out into the fields to gather herbs and found a wild gourd plant and picked as many of its gourds as his garment could hold. When he returned, he cut them up into the pot of stew, though no one knew what they were. The stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat it, they cried out, Man of God, there is death in the pot! And they couldn't eat it. Elisha said, Get some flour. He put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God twenty loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe corn, along with some ears of new corn. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men? his servant asked. But Elisha answered, Give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. So in the first story we had a time of drought, and now here we find famine. And Elisha, who was the successor to Elijah as God's prophet, given to Israel to to be the, the line of communication, he finds himself teaching in a place called Gilgal. And he's teaching to a school of prophets. Now, we don't know an awful lot about this school of prophets, but these are young men who would have been training for the priesthood, most likely, um, to go and to, um, to preach and to teach um, to their communities. Elisha is teaching with them and it's a time of famine. Food is scarce. We don't know what's caused the famine, whether it's crop failure, whether it's um, uh, drought. We have no idea. But what we do know is that food is scarce. And at one point we're approaching mealtime and Elisha chooses one of these young guys to go and glean what he can from the land. Now there's a lesson here, isn't there? Do what you're good at. Stick to what you know. Elisha sends out a guy who's training for ministry to go and pick food. This guy is not a chef. He is not a horticulturalist. He's about as useful as I would be doing that job. He goes out into the the pastures and he's looking for probably vegetables or fruits of some sort and eventually he comes across this thing that he doesn't recognise. It's, it's a gourd. Now, a gourd is... Um, one of these things, it, um, it's an amusingly shaped vegetable, a cross between a marrow and a pumpkin. And he thinks he might recognise it, he doesn't quite know, but he picks a, picks a load of these things, takes them back to the School of Prophets. And when he gets there, he doesn't sort of say, excuse me guys, anyone recognise this? Can we eat it? Is it dangerous? He doesn't bother doing that, instead he just chops it up and chucks it in the pot with everything else that they've got. In a time of famine, you can't be picky, I suppose. And so the fire is lit, the food is cooked, and eventually it's serving time. It's dished out into the bowls and everyone sits round grateful for what they've got in a time of famine, hunger and starvation are not far away. And so to have a meal is an absolute blessing. After a few mouthfuls, though, people begin to cry out. It's bitter, it's horrible, it's poison. There is death in the pot. 
Now, we've got to remember, as I've said several times, this is a country suffering a famine. In those days, food storage was not commonplace. And so you never knew where your next meal was coming from. To eat something that caused illness, to cause vomiting, would have meant a loss of fluids, a loss of strength. In those days, that could easily mean a loss of life. And so there is genuine fear when they realise that there is poison in the pot. There is genuine fear when they taste the bitterness and know this is not good for us. But of course, they wail and they cry out. There's death in the pot. There is suddenly fear of what they're eating. Once again, God has put his prophet in the right place at the right time. Eventually they call out to Elisha. And Elisha comes and says to his servant, go and get some flour. Now some translations say that this was sort of a, a, almost porridge oats, a whole meal. Others say that it would have been refined flour. We don't know. What we do know is that the servant brings some. Elisha takes a handful, scatters it into the pot, stirs it in. And from that moment onwards, the food is safe to eat. There is no more death in the pot. You see, when faced with what seems like an absolute tragedy, the loss of an entire pot of food, we know from the next phase of the passage there were a hundred men to be fed. This was a vast quantity of food which was suddenly going to have to go to waste. These guys who were all training in the school of prophets, they were all close to God. They all wanted to give their lives to serving and to teaching and preaching about him. What's their first reaction? It's not to ask God for help. It's not to turn to him and pray. It's to panic. It's to point and say, there's death in the pot. This is poison. What are we going to do? And God teaches us once again. In a crisis... Turn to him. Be obedient to him. Elisha does exactly that. He stays calm. He gives what must have seemed like a slightly bizarre statement. Into this pot of poisoned food, we're going to put some more of the very small amount of food that we've got left. We're going to put some of our provisions in there. We're going to add good food to bad food. People must have been thinking, what are you doing? You're wasting flour now. Just get rid of the stuff. But Elisha has faith. And so for this group of aspiring priests, they see Elisha stirring the pot, sampling it, and then saying the food is good to eat. Their faith had been tested. And like all of us, at some point, their fear had overwhelmed their faith. Their panic had hit before their peace. You see, we need to make sure at this time that we are not panicking, that we are not fearful. We need to remember that God is always with us and that if we turn to him, then he is there for us. Once again, God provides a solution. His miraculous power. We cannot explain what difference the flower made. We don't know what it was that went in there, but we do know that Elisha was, was loyal to God. He was, he was true to God. He was faithful. 
He took the flower, he put it in, he stirred. Now this was God's prophet, of course he was praying. Of course he was asking God to make a difference. You may have seen the verse at the top of the bulletin this week. Every week, um, whoever's preaching spends time trying to find a verse that fits with the message of the sermon. And I'm sure most people don't even register the verse at the top of the bulletin. But this week, I chose a verse from Zechariah. It says, return to me, says the Lord, and I will return to you. At the moment, we live in a world where there's a lot of fear, where there's a lot of panic, there's a lot of frustration and uncertainty because we've been taught in the past 12 months that we cannot do things on our own. We've been shown the limits of what we can achieve. We've been shown how, how fragile our way of life is, how dependent we are on the things we take for granted. Maybe we need to return to God. Maybe we need to repent and to say, Lord, I want to return to you because I need you to return to me. So whatever it is that we, that we might be fearing at the moment, whatever it is that has poisoned the pot of life that we previously enjoyed, whatever it is that made us now that makes us now look at the world and whereas once we used to enjoy it and have freedom and, 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 and look forward to living life each day, maybe now we look at it and we just see death in the pot. What is it in your pot that has poisoned the world? What is it in your pot that makes you think, I feel dissatisfied with life, I'm not happy? What is it that's overwhelming you? What is it that's taking away the, 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 the enjoyment of the life that God's given you? Whatever it is, God can make it better. God can help you to deal with it. God can give you the solution to sprinkle the flower. That might be in the form of regular prayer. That might be in the form of, of, of worshipping. That might be in the form of, of, of getting in touch more regularly with Christian friends and family, tightening the church network so that we become more powerful together as we pray together and support one another. But whatever it is, whatever we've got in our pot of life that is, that is a poison that we fear, that makes us reluctant to, to get involved, to live out our faith to the fullest, call on God. Work with God and he will get you, he will get all of us through whatever it is that we are afraid of. That school of prophets were overwhelmed by fear of the unknown. So were we at the moment, many of us. But let's make sure that we don't let ourselves be overwhelmed by fear. Instead, let's overwhelm whatever the world throws at us with faith. God is good and he'll get us through. So shortly after this incident, in the very next passage, we see a man turning up to the school of prophets where there's a hundred mouths to feed. And we know it's a time of famine and he just turns up with 20 loaves of bread. Now, these loaves would have been individual portions. And so Elisha's servant is quite taken aback when Elisha says, great, um, take these and go and feed, go and feed everyone. His servant says, there's 20 loaves here. We've got a hundred mouths to feed. We need five times this much. And Elisha says, God has told me, everyone will eat and be full and there'll be stuff left over. And so the servant takes it away, feeds everyone and then is left with plates of leftovers. 
You see, again, God performs a miracle. God provides. For you and I today, God provides. Every little blessing that that we receive every single day, even though things seem bad, we're not living with famine or drought. We're living with a global pandemic, which is getting more and more aggressive, it seems. But we must be more and more aggressive in our prayer in response to that. We can be more and more aggressive in our faith, more and more aggressive in the way that we stick to God, that we refuse to be beaten. Elisha heard from God on a regular basis. Every day we can hear from God as well. Every day we can wake up and we can count the ways in which he's blessed us. We can look at the the roof over our heads, the shoes on our feet, the the car on the driveway or or the, the, the warmth in a radiator. We can thank God for for the job that we've got, for the time that we have. We can thank God because he blesses us every day. There are good things that happen in our lives. And if we can get in the habit of looking at those things and giving thanks, then immediately we start every day upbeat. We start every day full of faith. And when we face those really difficult times, when we find ourselves struggling with hope, struggling with faith, then we are reminded on a daily basis that we have a God who provides, a God who is there for us and a God who never leaves us or forsakes us. Now, of course, I'm sure that for many of you, you've heard the story of the 20 loaves being multiplied and feeding a 100 mouthfuls. And it will come as no surprise when you hear the next third and final story that we're going to listen to today. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down, about five thousand men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So the feeding of the 5,000 is a story that will be very familiar to many of us. And of course, it's one of Jesus' great miracles. 5,000 people fed from just five loaves and a couple of fish. But it's interesting what goes on before that. Again, Jesus sets the whole thing up. Now, of course... Elijah and Elisha were prophets. Jesus was the son of God. So he had a bit of an advantage over them. But Jesus looks at the crowd approaching. 
when he's standing in the hills having wanted to get away with his disciples. He sees this this huge crowd, 5,000 men, goodness knows how many women and children as well, were coming to listen to him. They had seen the miraculous healings and the miraculous acts that he had carried out, and they wanted to be near him, to hear more, to see more. And so Jesus says to one of his disciples, Philip, where should we buy bread to feed these people? He knows exactly what's going to happen. And yet he asks Philip. And Philip looks around and thinks two things. Firstly, there's nowhere to buy bread. And secondly, buy it? There's over 5,000 people here. It's going to take more than eight months' wages to feed this lot. You must be mad. Now, of course, this was a test of faith. This was a test of of, um, Jesus is setting Philip up here to say this is impossible and of course as soon as that happens Jesus makes the impossible possible a small boy steps forward with five loaves and two fishes and Jesus tells the disciples to get some baskets and start dishing it out 5,000 men plus women plus children are fed and there's 12 baskets of food left over once again we see a miraculous provision You see, in the first story we looked at today, we saw a lady who had given up because all she had in the world was enough for one more meal. She had lost all hope. In the second story, we saw a group of men who feared poison. They panicked and they let themselves be overwhelmed by the fear. In the third story, The disciples are overwhelmed by the sheer scale of the task before them, the sheer scale of the problem. But Jesus isn't, because Jesus knows the power that God, the Father, would bestow upon him to perform that miracle. At the moment, in this world, in this country, in this town, in this church, we have so many people who can identify with those three stories. Maybe you're feeling like the widow in the first story with Elijah, who, before Elijah turned up, had just lost all hope. She had seen it coming. She'd been watching her supplies go down and down and down, and she knew she had no way of replenishing them. She had no income. She had mouths to feed, a son to support. She was desperate. There's plenty of people out there at the moment who are feeling desperate, but God provides. Or maybe you're feeling overwhelmed by fear and panic because every day you pick up a newspaper or go online and see the headlines and things just seem to be getting worse and worse. Maybe you've lost all confidence in the, in the optimism that, that appeared when the vaccines were first talked about. And maybe you're not convinced that they're even going to be effective against new strains of the virus. Maybe you're overwhelmed by that, by the fear. And all you can focus on when you look at, at the pot of life before you is the poison in the pot. But do you know what? God can provide the comfort and the strength that you need to get through this. Or maybe you find yourself looking at the world and thinking, 
I just cannot fathom how we're going to get through this, how life is going to be, what's it going to be like. Everything is so unknown and uncertain at the moment. I just don't know what things are going to be like. And maybe you're the sort of person who who, who likes to know exactly how things are going to be, likes to have a long-term plan. And the frustration of not being able to do that at the moment is really getting you down. The sheer scale of the problem is eating away at you. Well, Jesus isn't phased by a big problem. In fact, Jesus loves a big problem because it gives him a big opportunity to show just how big his love is. These three stories, they all show the miraculous power of a God of provision. Provision isn't simply the physical resources, isn't simply the food to eat. But of course, Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the one who can nourish our spirit, who can sustain us on the inside, as well as provide what we need physically. His love, his presence, his grace, his mercy are absolutely vital for the world at the moment. And you know what? His people, that's you and I, are the ones who can spread that to all those that we see. We might not be able to go and meet people at the moment, but we can still keep that fire burning inside us. We can still keep that passion for God alive. We can still make sure that we don't lose hope, that we're not overcome by fear, that we're not overwhelmed by the size of the the problems the world is facing at the moment. But instead, we remember that our God is above all of that, above every situation that is going on at the moment. We can come to him no matter what is going on in our lives, with our hopes, with our joys, with our celebrations, but also with our grief and our pain. We can be completely open with God, and we must be, because that's what he wants. He wants us to return to him, and then he'll return to us. So who knows what the coming week is going to hold? Who knows what the headlines are going to reveal? Who knows what new streams of the virus lie ahead or new vaccines lie ahead who knows how quickly we're all going to be vaccinated and cured we don't but we do know that we are the church and that we at times like this have something that no one else has got and that is God that is the rock who is unchanging the same yesterday today and forever the one who has assured our salvation if we choose to follow him through his son Jesus Christ the Lord And it is so important right now that we keep the faith. We're starting our week of prayer this week. And the theme, as Roger said in in the introductory video, is above all. And I urge you to take part in that, to commit to it every day, to pray through it. And by the end of this week, my prayer for this church is that above all, God is sovereign. Be blessed this week. Stay strong, stay positive, stay close to God and he'll stay close to you. He is the great provider. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that even in these very strange times that we're living through at the moment, we can turn to your word and we can find stories that speak into our everyday situations. Father, we don't have any secrets from you. We can't have any secrets from you. You know everything that is going on in our lives. And so, Lord, we we give ourselves to you once again this morning. We recommit ourselves to you. Father, we pray that you will 
You will fan the flames of faith within us, that you will drive us in our relationship with you, that you will help us to learn that even when the world seems hopeless, you bring hope. That even when, when a cure, the poison in the pot seems to be uncurable, Lord, you know, you know the cure. You know what we need to help ourselves. And Father, even when we look at the scale of the problems that the world is facing at the moment and feel overwhelmed by the sheer numbers, Lord, you created those numbers. You are God. You are the living God. And Father, we pray that you will fill each and every one of us with your Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to equip us, to guide us and to help us through this year and for the rest of our lives until the day comes that we stand before you in your heavenly courts and welcome us home. In Jesus' name, Amen.